electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome to the CNBC special Taking Stock. I'm Mike Santoli, and we've been canceled. <laughs> but not for another hour, Mike. Hi, I'm Josh Brown, and welcome to the arena. Let's make sure we get that clock going. You know, got a lot to cover. By the way, Josh, um, we've been doing this show since the very start of August. The peak of the market was July 31st, and we're down 4%. I hope you're not taking it personally. Causation is not always correla- <laughs> uh, correlation. is not always causation. I've, I've heard something about that. We're going okay. to definitely stick to that line. Feels like today, uh, first story is the Fed and the market's response to Jackson Hole. Jay Powell's speech. Uh, I think the takeaway is, first of all, market kind of geared for a slightly hawkish message. But here's a uh, Fed chair who is admitting that we're kind of at a crossroads. We're going to go slow if we go anywhere. We're going to be data dependent. Inflation, we've seen progress, not quite done. A patient, data dependent Fed, not looking to make any sudden moves, is kind of what got the market up here in the first place. Maybe not too much of a jolt. Yeah, I was going to say, like, today felt like just a, a redo of yesterday. A little bit of panic going into a Fed speech is never a bad thing, quite frankly, because on the way out of it, it always feels better, even if you're just running in place, which I think is the story of of the month of August, quite frankly. Um, But the the big thing to me, though, is that just because the last Jackson Hole produced an outside uh, outsized response, we were down six percent in the week after in the S&P. We had a 25 uh, basis point 10 year yield rally. Of course, we were down 12 percent within a month. Um, That sets the table. And people have whatever they remember most was the thing that just happened. So and, and of course, it didn't go that way. You today. had a little you had an absolute what if on people's minds as they went into yeah. it. Um, Powell used the phrase proceed carefully twice. So mm. clearly intending not to necessarily put the market on notice. But that, of course, does leave us at this ambiguous spot, which is we're late in the cycle. Inflation's going to the right direction, still has more to go. The thing is, another quarter point ain't going to make the difference one way or the other. If right. we've gone too far, we've gone too far already. Well, we operate on a, on a long and, and varied lag. Yeah. And then here's another quarter, uh, quarter of a point. It almost, it's almost incongruous, yeah. but it is central banker logic, and we just have to live with it. That's right. So I fully agree. Um, what, what do we want to get to next? I think NVIDIA is, uh, is probably the second biggest yep. story, maybe the biggest probably story, the biggest, yeah. but we did it out of order. Okay, so this is the most interesting stock in the market to me because it's $1.2 trillion market cap now. Everyone has a buy on it. Most of the world is catching up to the story and, and coming in late. It is the only one of the gigantic technology companies that's not consumer-facing in any way. Yeah. Unless you're mining Bitcoin, you have never went to a store uh, or maybe video game aficionados. Right. Very, very narrow pro- portion of the population has ever directly dealt with NVIDIA. This is a business-to-business stock. So in many ways, it's more reminiscent of, let's call it, Cisco yeah. from the Cisco from the dot or com TMC era. or something like it's that. It's a pick and shovel. It's not the consumer-facing. So that's interesting to me. Yeah, for, without a doubt, interesting. I mean, I think last week when we talked about the stock, my only reservation really is, could it be that easy in the short term that everyone loves the stock, everyone knows it's the one 
geared play to the AI revolution. We know that they can't make enough of the stuff to sell it at full price. Uh, it's just a matter of how long that lasts and how much was priced in. And, you know, the stock backed off uh, in the last uh, two days after the report, but, you know, didn't really cut too much into what's already been gained. And as you say, uh, I mean, look, three months ago, uh, the ridiculous uh, upside guide from NVIDIA got the entire market onto this other rally leg. But this they time, did it again. We're just kind of absorbing it. No, so I know. This is what's crazy to me. A lot of the the bears, not like they hate NVIDIA, but just like, all right, let's see them do that again. Yeah. They literally did. They just took guidance from 12 billion to 16 billion for the next quarter. It almost it almost defies logic how a company of this size is able to do that. I've talked about this as a once in a lifetime situation. I can't remember another situation like this in the past. Maybe Dell Computers circa 97, yeah. 98. No, Is that a good again, I remember I mean, EMC. I remember where, like, the chief information officers of companies complaining in the press, I, I wish I could stop buying their stuff. I can't. I need the database. But they story. weren't this big. Uh, this no, they weren't. This is so big. That's true. Uh, one, other thing on this that, one other thing on this that I thought was interesting. Um, S3 Partners says NVIDIA shorts lost $826 million on Thursday alone. Yeah. Maybe they made some of that ground back if they didn't cover. That's a recurring theme with NVIDIA. But it is not as heavily shorted no, as Tesla was last year. That's and right. obviously Tesla went up more, too. It was a more dramatic story, especially because there weren't earnings that's right. when that yeah. rally started. We're talking about a stock that's 45 times 2024 estimates. Right. It's not even egregious given the growth rate. No. That's why it's, it's so hard to bet against. It's all about how long this build-out lasts and at this pace. And so we'll have to argue about that for a while from here. It's 3% plus of the S&P. Sure. All right. Meanwhile, two long-awaited IPOs getting closer to happening. Arm and Instacart, both filing to go public this week, along with another software company, uh, Clavio. Mm. I assume that's how that is said. What does Clavio do? Uh, yes, they do. Um, <laughs> no, but what, you have no idea? No. I don't know. Um, it's software. Okay. Um, no, what I do think is, is important, though, is, is the reopening of the IPO market with this particular type of deal. It's the kind of offering that is likely to be the ones to go. Arm used to be a public company owned by SoftBank. They have anchor investors. It's this integral uh, bit of the semiconductor food chain. We know there's an AI play. It's kind of an NVIDIA ecosystem. Great. It pre-sells itself. The question is what you're going to pay for it. And then Instacart, I mean, this is a 10-plus-year-old company. It's $2.5 billion or something in sales. It's mature for a private company. So I think if they price them rationally, you know, it's, it seems as if you have some ready buyers for this stuff, even if it's not going to be a big one-day pop. So Instacart's interesting to me because I own, uh, we're talking about a tiny amount of stock. I own it in the private market. Um, We did a joint venture with Equity Zen. We launched a uh, pre-IPO startup kind of portfolio, if you will. The way that we got shares in companies like Instacart was really buying them from employees who wanted early liquidity. So hilariously, we did this in 2020 and 2021. Uh, so I never thought I'd see any of these go public after that first wave in 2021. Yeah. We had a few. Um, so it's nice to see that, that thaw uh, and the ice cracking a little bit on, on Instacart. Uh, I haven't looked at valuation or anything. Arm, to me, is going to be a bore. It's a very big IPO, yes. perhaps the biggest of the year. It looks like a very boring company now. It should now. be, right. It, exactly. sh- it should be. Yeah. 
Does it, doesn't it seem Qualcomm-esque? Exactly what it is. Okay. Yeah. So it's like Qualcomm, but British, but owned by a Japanese investment bank that didn't, uh, that really tried to sell it and couldn't sell it to, so I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's going to be as exciting as, let's say, the Snowflake or right. other IPOs of that size in recent memory. No, probably not. And uh, But but just kind of could, could break, uh, you know, through the window and see if... Uh, see if we have some more deals out there. And the supply-demand dynamic for equities in general has been pretty favorable. It's a long way before we worry about too much issuance, of course. All right, let's talk about Disney. Uh, the stock we have to. Yeah, I know. So it's <laughs> lowest close. Maybe that's a sentiment tell right there. Yes, uh, Lowest close in almost nine years this week. Yeah. Um, now, this has been a kind of slow-motion loss of faith. They're at a strategic crossroads. Reports that they might have tried to look for some kind of partnership deal, maybe with Amazon uh, for ESPN. You know, the whole time that Bob Iger during his tenure got a lot of points correctly for figuring out the whole content franchise model, buying Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm, all the rest, ESPN was subsidizing everything that was going on at the company yeah, to a degree. The, biggest, well the, pro- the biggest profit center. Like, like if you just look at all their businesses, yeah. it's not that it's their biggest business. It's their most profitable uh, business. And uh, when you are that profitable and that steady for two decades... It, you know, it's easy to forget that the future is coming and things are about to change. Um, there's an there's a, a alternate timeline where Iger never left. Sure. And they address this issue sooner. Perhaps. And I, I think if he writes another memoir, he'll say I shouldn't have left. All right, fine. <laughs> what do you do now? I feel like they need, Disney needs cash. They, I think they, they can use it, yeah. They could use it. So Hearst owns a percentage of ESPN. Another percentage of this thing should probably go to a partner that can teach them about having a big tech platform and what ESPN can teach that partner, whether it's Amazon or Apple, is, hey, here's how you do live sports for real. That's a win-win in a partnership. Um, ESPN will never be worth more than it is today at any point in the future. Everybody understands that. So you need a partner that's willing to say, here's cash. Yeah. I know you need $10 billion to buy Hulu in a year. <laughs> well, I'll take the other side of the idea that they need cash. They absolutely could they use will the need lever. Ca- they will need cash. here's the thing. What they really want for ESPN is some kind of multiplier effect on how do we reach the subs who are going to be willing to pay over the top for ESPN on an app for whatever the number is, 20, 25 bucks a month, that's going to be, to make us agnostic as to whether you get ESPN through your cable bundle or a la carte through an app. Maybe that's Amazon with the Prime. Who knows what it is? But it seems like they want more than capital. Yeah, here's my biggest concern. Here's my biggest concern. There there doesn't have to be a rush here. This could go on for a year, and the stock will be in limbo. In the meantime, Apple just spent $2.5 billion for 10 years' worth of Major League Soccer, this is an experiment for them. Sure. Once they unlock and say, hey, everybody, we know how to do live sports, they're going to go after the NBA. What does ESPN have to offer a streaming consumer if they don't have uh, Thursday night football available? They can't have most of the NBA now. So this is going to be, I think, a very difficult situation unless it's resolved immediately. Yeah. And I don't well, think it will be. It'll be, it'll be. it'll be soon. I do think the stock has been de-risked at these levels but because I don't think anyone believes there's an easy answer or easy way out. All right. Fair enough. Also been watching shares of AMC, the movie theater company, sinking again today after the conversion of its preferred ape shares back into common stock. This is a little bit of a 
the denouement for this situation. The stock is down like 65% this week. They did the conversion. They did a reverse split, 10 for one shares. Uh, stock is now down 95% from its meme stock peak. And uh, it's what maybe is necessary for the survival of the company so they can issue more equity. But it shows you uh, that that kind of popular frenzy, which was always a bit contrived, is, is burnt out. I really never understood it. No. I think the best thing that came out of that frenzy is a lot of new young investors got introduced to how easy it is to lose money when you do things for non-economic reasons. I know that sounds glib, yeah. but those are people who are going to be smarter investors on the other side, I would assume. Sure. That's how I learned, losing money. I don't think it's totally negative. I also think it was interesting that this guy was able to save his company with that retail frenzy to some extent. Sure. Uh, but that's a long time ago now. Yeah. In, in meme years... Those memes don't hit anymore, so yeah. I, don't, I don't see any comeback for this even possible. Yeah. And I hate to say that because I know people are, are down in this. Right. I, I can't imagine a scenario where it comes back unless some wild rumor starts to circulate. Yeah, in terms which, of the equity value, no. I mean, look, the company's no. going to be there. There's going to be AMC the movie theaters. theaters. Gonna They're going to exist, whatever the capital might have structure different is of the company. Right, exactly. right. I agree. All right. We're just getting started on this CNBC special, taking stock on the other side of the break. A big deal. Stay with us. Tonight, sticky fingers causing slippery results? Retail's five-fingered problem. Plus, a night at the roundtable. We get technical on the market's biggest trends. And savers, borrowers, and the new rate debate. When we return on Taking Stock. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Welcome back. You've heard of deal or no deal. Now we're going to play big deal or no big deal. 
which of this week's stories really matters to the markets. First up, retail. Some well-known names getting crushed after results. Macy's, Dick's Sporting Goods, Foot Locker, all down more than 20% this week. We heard a lot more about shrink, a lot of it due to theft. So what do we think, Josh? Uh, for you, big deal, no big deal for the markets and the economy. I'm going to go big deal. <laughs> I'm going to go big deal on this one. I really think it matters. And not because we're going to use the stock market to resolve the issues behind why people are stealing, but how much longer will this go on for? Um, there, are, there are actual laws in some very important states to retailers like California uh, that make it so there might not be a solution anytime soon. Companies will keep complaining about this. But the bigger picture issue is why now? Yeah. Have people gotten a measure more desperate? Because they're, they're framing this as organized crime. It's not terribly organized. Yeah. It's not the mafia. So there's a desperation factor that might... Uh, have something to do with the real economy and not just lax security policies at Dick's Sporting Or people got conditioned to the opportunity during the pandemic. The value of goods is up due to inflation, and you can easily sell stuff third-party seller online. I'm going to say no big deal in terms of the macro because a lot of this is challenged chain store, physical retail that has no room for error, and then their kind of strength, therefore, is a much bigger part of it. You see Companies like TJX, Raw Stores doing really well, Tractor Supply, Ulta, the ones that aren't ubiquitous and aren't struggling, uh, like, you know, Nordstrom had a weak quarter as well, talked about theft. Uh, so I think it's an issue. It's going to be with us. But I'm, I'm going to say uh, not a big deal in terms of uh, a core worry. OK, so Michael's going to be complacent on this one. The weak results from Dix and Foot Locker do reflect poorly on Nike. This is a stock that uh, was higher today, finally, after an 11 session losing streak, the longest it's ever had. Are streaks important? Do we think that these are a big deal? I think they tell you something about the lack of sponsorship for a stock. I think there's a randomness factor in there. So I'm going to kind of say no big deal on the streak part of it. Uh, I do think that the Nike is the kind of stock which is premium valuation, beloved global brand, people always think is a winner, but maybe got ahead of itself and now has some of these China-related challenges, footlocker inventory stuff. So I don't think the streak is the reason to worry, uh, but I do think that uh, the stock is in a tough spot. I think Nike and Disney at the same time uh, acting this way is sort of becoming a big deal. I wish there were – I'm going to do a big deal on this one. I wish there were a way I could kind of thread the needle a little bit because I don't think it's cataclysmic. You don't want to see two stocks like that. Uh, that are that are that are acting this way sure. for a prolonged period of time. The other one I always throw in that bucket is Starbucks. It's a little bit better, but it's also been weak. All right, next, let's talk inflation. There was some optimism in the market today following Chairman Powell's comments this morning, but inflation, of course, still well above the Fed's goal of two percent or lower. A lot of talk about it being stubborn from here, harder to get down toward two. Uh, big deal or not that stubborn inflation's out there. So I'm, I'm glad you asked this question. I talked to my client-facing advisors uh, over the past couple of days about this. Their clients are no longer complaining about inflation, at least vocally. They are more excited about higher yields on cash yeah. than they are upset about the higher costs that they're paying uh, at cash registers or whatever they have yeah. to do. It seems like the labor part of inflation is cooling off sub rosa. That's not in the numbers yet, but the challenge of hiring people is not the same as it was a year ago. And so I think for the upwardly mobile, for the business owner, they're like sanguine at this point yeah. because they are making a ton of money risk-free on their on their cash, on their treasuries. I'm going to say big deal, not oh, because so. it's a present <laughs> problem, but because I don't want people to get 
too comfortable before we're there. Uh, but by the way, one of the big sources of inflation recently has been financial services fees, Josh. I'm not sure if you're okay with that or not. Yes. But when the market goes up, asset management fees. And that's a big swing factor. It has nothing to do with wages. So. I'm, very, I'm very pro. Uh, <laughs> no. uh, let's shift gears. Uh, election season always brings the economy into focus. This week it was mugshots. There was a debate that no one watched. Uh, who knows what might happen next week? How does an election season impact the market? Um, will it see 2024 as a big deal or are we too early for that kind? Well, of- I think I think I'm going to say no big deal. I think it's early. But what uh, is I'm real you. I'm with you too. is the market pattern in an election year. So regardless of the details, the policy, uh, that might be in dispute, you know, the implications for the economy. The market tends to stay kind of captive when you get toward the middle of an election year. Maybe you need clarity just for the election to pass before it releases higher. That's at least the pattern. By the way, this year, the third year of the, the presidential best. cycle is the best. Yeah. We've been enjoying a lot of that. Um, so I don't necessarily think that, um, but inherently, I don't think that that's always. I'm, I, I, you and I are, you and I are uh, agreeing on this one. I think it's too early. And I really don't think that there's anything uh, different yeah. uh, right now than there was three months ago, six months ago. We kind of felt that these would be the candidates and nothing really changed this week. Right. So. And, you know, taxes probably aren't going lower. Fiscal stimulus probably isn't coming back. I'm not sure what the economy is going to kind of be hinging on. All right. Coming up, we stand up and go to the charts looking for an explanation for August slump and what might come after it. And a programming note for next week. It's back to school for most of the country and for mad money as well. Jim's giving you his tried and true investing lessons for a special back-to-school series of Mad Money. Tune in every night at 6 p.m. Eastern. We'll be right back here on Taking Stock. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Up in Hill this month, the S&P was soaring, having its strongest performance for the first seven months of the year since 1997. It has now stumbled in August, down 3.5%. So we're turning to the charts to see what the technicals are now signaling. Let's bring in Katie Stockton, Fairlead Strategies Managing Partner and a CNBC contributor. Katie, uh, where is this pullback uh, taking us in terms of the S&P trend, in terms of what may come next? Well, you know, the corrective phase to me is just that, not the beginning of something more awful. Uh, I think it is temporary, and I think it will last probably another few weeks based on our indicators. So we track some gauges of which uh, they're mostly pointing lower, as you can imagine. We look at daily charts for short-term bias, weekly charts for an intermediate-term bias, and then monthlies, of course, for long-term bias. The monthlies still look fine. The weeklies, however, we do have some deterioration, and you can see in part here 
on the chart that the stochastics have rolled over. The stochastics are in the bottom window there. And they measure overbought, oversold conditions. Mm -hmm. So it is measurable. It's sure. not just words we use. And you can see they're pointing lower and there's room to oversold territory. What we want to see from the market is an upturn in those weekly stochastics because that would suggest that the corrective phase is maturing. Back here, we did kind of have this turn higher uh, without really getting washed out. I mean, did that tell us anything there in terms of what might be uh, in for uh, right now? You know, when we do see that oscillator hold up around that midpoint, around 50%, as opposed to getting fully oversold, that actually tends to be a good thing. Oh, so okay. if we saw that this time around, it means the market almost didn't have to get oversold to regenerate that buying interest. So mm -hmm. we'd love to see that again. I suspect we might not. We obviously have some very weak seasonal influences as sure. we come into September. And I'm not one to make a recommendation based on that. But certainly when this setup happens at that time, it would add to it. One of the biggest drivers of the technicals, I think, has been the consumer discretionary stocks. I think it was the best sector of the year uh, going into August. It probably still is. Um, a lot of the things that we heard during this, this earnings season uh, and then a lot of the deterioration in the XRT names, a lot of the big XLY names, uh, is that an area of concern for you? Is that one of the things that you're watching as possibly secondary confirmation that we're still in for a rough few weeks? Yeah, definitely. The leading sectors, that obviously includes discretionary, probably less so retail, which has been more of a sure. lagging subgroup, if you will. Uh, it certainly is contributing to it. It's very normal for these leading sectors, technology included, communication services. Of course, these are mega cap heavy sectors as well. But it, again, there we think it's temporary, something that should be prevalent during the corrective phase. But as we come out of this corrective phase, we would expect those same leading sectors to resume their leadership position. So you don't see a rotation brewing or some sudden shift to another sector? Not a you lasting one, okay. not yet. Okay. And we, we had the 40-week average on there for the S&P. Is that a downside target? You think we're going to revisit that? You know, I don't think we'll get back there necessarily. The support that was we're that, watching. Was that, like 41, yeah, 4,200? So we're, we're watching about just just shy of 4,200 is, is some support based on a Fibonacci retracement level that we're watching. Also, you can go back to that February peak and see some former resistance as okay. potential support. So. 4180 to 4195. But as mentioned with the indicators, we look for a setup, not just a level to trigger a reentry. Re sure. Mm -hmm. So we're talking a couple hundred uh, S&P points. I think we have another. Forward. I think we have the weekend forecast. What's on top weather-wise? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you do have another idea that looks like a, a chart a that's poised to, to grab onto. Well, it, it's tough, right? Because we're not recommending taking on new equity exposure right now. We want to wait to do that. So we have to get a little bit creative at times to find new actionable ideas. In our writing, we've been doing more on the short side just to take advantage of the down side. But this time around, we want to bring a chart of the uranium ETF or URNM. And this ETF, um, it has exposure to uranium miners. So a very small sort of subgroup there. And yet notice that we have a triangle formation. And Mike, I know that you, you're very adept at this telestrator here, but yeah, the narrowing series right of there, highs yeah. and lows and uh, now a breakout from that triangle. And in my opinion, the triangles are among the highest profit 
probability formations. And this once is you know the direction, they're going to because of the, the triangle. Right. The triangle is like okay, there's indecision coming from the buyers, but then there's also indecision coming from the sellers. So you kind of have like uh, lower highs, but then you also have higher lows, mm-hmm. and then it reaches a point where it's like okay, this thing has to break one way or the other. You're telling us that this triangle is broken to the upside. Broken to the upside. And and usually you will see triangles resolve in the direction of the trend that preceded them. So it had an uptrend in place beforehand. You're right there. They're totally representing a balance between buyers and sellers. Now that we have a breakout, that means the buyers have won over. And you can get pretty impressive upside objectives from triangles at times. I think this one was close to 60, and it's trading something close to 37, 38. So long-term objective. All right. Before we let you go, uh, long-term Treasury yields, the 10 years, it looked like it's topping, or has it got more to go? Uh, I think for now we'll probably see some consolidation, further consolidation, yeah. pull back. But after that, I would expect a breakout above that 44, 34 threshold. And that would put next resistance around five and a quarter. Yeah, that's what I've been hearing. (laughs) So that might be a little bit of a test. Katie, thanks so much. Great to see you. You too. All right, coming up, we're taking a look at some of the commentary that stood out to us this week. Stay with us. Coming up, Teddy Roosevelt and some painful stock fallout. Hey, they said it. Plus, 18 opportunities. No ifs, ands, or buts. Just the best stocks ranked. And don't clock out before lining up next week's most pressing priorities when taking stock rolls on. Welcome back. Uh, This is a quote I'm reading to you. The era of low interest rates is over. In the blink of an eye, the Fed went from punishing savers to punishing borrowers. I didn't say it. They said it this week. That comes from my colleague, Michael Batnick, director of research at my firm, Ritholtz Wealth Management. Michael was talking about just this idea that we spent 10 years lamenting the poor saver who couldn't earn a rate of return anywhere other than going out on the, quote, risk curve. Um, And now we flip that equation. And if you are a saver, you're in seventh heaven, 5 percent risk free. What are you complaining about? If you're a borrower, not so much fun. What was your biggest takeaway from the piece? I think it's. Clearly true, but I also think it's important to, to mention, just as in the prior era, the Fed wasn't intentionally punishing savers. They right. weren't saying we don't want you to say it was what the economy they believed required at the time. We had chronically low growth and chronically low inflation and rates had to stay low. We had an over indebted uh, private sector. Now it's quite the opposite. We have two percent real. That's inflation adjusted interest rates on the 10 year uh, end of the curve, which means that's suggesting we have a higher growth, sort of higher metabolism economy and you getting genuine returns from owning fixed income. I do think it's interesting. Part of me hesitates with the public enthusiasm about cash, the novelty factor of getting 5% on cash. I mean, I remember when it was not remarkable to get yes. 5% on cash. Yes. So I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's not gonna get, you're not going to get hurt there unless you do that to the exclusion of also having exposure to other asset classes. So I think that's a really good point. A lot of people uh, were saying things in February, March to the effect of, I can earn back then 4%. Why would I ever buy a stock in that environment? Right. Well, the NASDAQ goes up 40%. Oh, that's why. Yeah. I forgot. Sure. That's a very good point. The other point is, for how much longer... Will this free lunch be available? Probably not much longer. One of the things we've been talking to clients about this week is just this idea of 
Why would you take duration when you can lock in six-month T-bill at 5%? Yeah. Well, take a look at the, the Barclays Ag, which is the bond market index ETF. Take a look at BND, which is Vanguard's version. There has actually been a much tighter spread now between longer-dated treasuries and the overnight uh, or the six-month money. And why that's significant is you can now lock in a lesser rate, yeah. but at a longer period of time, sure. not have that roll risk. Who knows if they're cutting rates six from months from now right. or not. So. Exactly. And two, it, you, you're getting like 5% in the two-year. Yeah. In two years, if the Fed's funds rate is two, right. then that's what your available cash yield is at the time. So that's the logic of it. Long-term bonds now can do their job in a portfolio if we have a rough economic time. They're going to offset it. Take, du- take, take duration again. It's th- some duration, not some, all the duration. Yeah. <laughs> take some duration. You're going to yeah. be okay. And okay. the Fed's also putting more out into the market. That helps. Okay. All right, next up, Larry Summers still beating the drum that we're not out of the woods on inflation. He's posted this chart on X. Uh, at formerly, uh, of course, known as Twitter. The chart shows year-over-year CPI changes comparing the current cycle to the 1970s. Now, first of all, are we, the putting, chart the, are we itself, putting it up? The construction of the chart itself is a crime. Was blasted justifiably. It's a chart crime. Yes, because he, there was he mismatched be, y-axes. He should know better. Yeah, he should be hounded and chased through the streets of is. Paris like Jean Valjean for this chart. Come on. Well, look, what are we I doing agree here? with that, but I think also just the the sequencing is what he's talking about, right? You thought you were kind of out of the woods, and maybe you weren't. Now, that period when you saw the spike up in the late 70s up into 1980, I mean. There was an Iranian revolution. Yeah. Oil went crazy to yeah. the upside. There's a lot of things that would have to happen. And look, I don't think anybody is saying to policymakers or investors, hey, relax. Inflation's in the bag. We're down to 2%. It's fine. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. Well, look, it's not, it's not that we couldn't have another geopolitical thing that drives the price of oil higher. But if we were to, no, A, nobody would see it coming. And B, Look how quickly we were able to round trip the price of oil and natural gas with Ukraine, one of the one of the most important areas geopolitically for natural gas to flow into Europe. So it's, it's hard to see something on the order of magnitude worse than that happening out of nowhere. So in the absence of that. Why would you think this is going to yeah. be a 1970 situation? I agree with that. I, I, again, I don't want to declare victory prematurely because we're at three to four percent, depending on the inflation uh, you know, metric you look at. And we have a tight labor market and we have a weird cycle. I think that's the other part of it. We just kind of don't know. I've made the case before, though, of course, while two percent remains and will remain the Fed's target, as Powell said today, it doesn't mean that markets require you to get to two percent for them to operate well and to stay supported. It took, yeah. Well. So, so the, the the better the better analog is the post World War II period. Yeah, you had I shortages. Agree. You had labor shortages. You had men coming back from war. You had you had all sorts of reasons why there were these weird things going on. Inflation was high. The 1950s rates went up, but so did stocks, and the economy was able to grow. It's a better analog to 1970s. Yeah. All right. Well, let's weigh into the other uh, kind of. X uh, shaming that went on this week. Uh, the king of SPACs uh, at one point, Chamath Palihapitiya, was very active on X this week, defending against criticism of his SPAC failures. Now, the money quote he put out there was, I'm in the arena trying stuff. Some will work, some won't. Um, and that was in response to somebody pointing out that many of his publicly traded SPACs just, you know, 
had disastrous returns. So I, I not I, I don't want to get personal here. Right. I, I I just would I would point out two things. Two things could be true at the same time. Number one, SPACs are, I've called them murder holes. I wrote a book called Backstage Wall Street. In 2012, I said, you will never make money in SPACs. Um, I backed off of that this last cycle. I said, eh, actually. Maybe it's a better mousetrap. Maybe some things companies. are better now. Yeah, right. I was wrong. They're not. They're, they're still murder holes. Um, so that can be true at the same time as, hey, if you're an individual investor, uh, you kind of have to do your own homework and you have to be willing to lose money if you're buying things that you think can double, triple and quadruple. I don't think conservative investors were plowing into SPACs, right. especially post deal uh, in the way that they would buy Treasury bonds. So we're all taking risk and we're all responsible for our own decisions. So I think there's room to like you could still hate his guts, but then also like hate your own guts if you bought five of his SPACs. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. There's no doubt that's true. And also, what does it say that right now what the crowd wants to do is gang up on the former Pied Piper of instant riches? Right. It shows you that people are a little bit more chastened, skeptical. Maybe they got burned. You know, the speculative parts of the market are miles from where they traded in early 2021. So yeah. that's probably constructive. As that's, you a, say. that's a good point. We don't have any euphoria. We, we, we're still in the mode where we're angry about the last yeah. cycle. Uh, and maybe that's that's a healthy place to be. The, the post financial crisis was a similar atmosphere. It was three to five years of recriminations yeah. and uh, memes about people who did really well and maybe shouldn't have. I mean, people are going to say, no, now the euphoria is in one point two trillion dollar, you know, NVIDIA and the big, huge Fang uh, stocks, but it's a different animal. Very, very different than Bitcoin, SPAC, uh, NFT era. Absolutely yes. very different. Okay. Bitcoin, SPAC, NFT would have sold very well in early 2020. <laughs> All right, coming up, 18 stocks from first to worst. We're forcing one brave soul to rank them all. Can he do it? Can we do it? Stick around. Welcome back. A new thing we're trying tonight, find a sell-side analyst and force them to rank their entire coverage universe from most loved to most hated. Here with us, the brave Dan Dolev from Mizuho and all 18 stocks he covers in the fintech space. It's a lot of stocks, so we're going to prioritize. Show us your top three names in your coverage universe. Okay, I'm going to go with top name. I'm going to go with Firm. Wow. Okay. I'm already surprised. Big day today. Thirty percent today, but okay. Hundreds of percentage more. You know, more to go. Hopefully, I'm going to go with Robinhood. Okay. And then I'm going to go with SoFi. Okay. Top three. All right. Let's let's do Robinhood. Let's let's do let's do a firm. Why why do you say hundreds of more uh, percent percent to go potentially? Yeah. A firm is basically disrupting buy now pay later. They're doing it better than everyone else. There is. There are two catalysts coming. One, they just have this new card, which is, used to be called debit card. Now it's the Affirm card. We've done work on it. This could add like 10 percentage points more to volume growth. So it's going to go from like 25 to 35 over the next two years if it's as successful as I think. It's in nobody's numbers. Okay. Does Robinhood need a bull market to work as a stock? I, it's hard to picture this thing working if, unless the market's rallying and the more speculative stocks are rallying. It's a, great, it's a great point. I do think that Robinhood, I'm looking for singularities, and I, and I do think that Robinhood can actually disrupt Charles Schwab. Right? They could become the Charles Schwab for younger people. It helps to have a bull market, but they're getting into retirement. So they're actually, the product, you know, the product velocity is very, very good. 
And that's why I think this one. You think they can get traction in the retirement market with their typical customer now sub 30 years old? They're growing them, right? So it's, that's, the, that's the best part, right? They're taking those guys when they're young, they're 18, 20, and they're basically growing. And it's not like you're talking about underserved or underbanked. You're talking basically about the entire universe. Okay. So there could be, some, there could be the next Warren Buffett who is now trading Robin Hood. He doesn't know he's going to be Warren Buffett. And all of a sudden, he's get, you know, he has retirement. With I would them. say SoFi is one of the most disappointing uh, IP. I know it was a SPAC, but we'll call it an IPO of the, uh, of the post-COVID era. Just because of how, how great the reputation was and the brand, the stock just has not matched the expectations, probably more than any other stock that, that, that's uh, up here. What's going to turn that around? Student loan refinancing. Okay. So I've actually done work. I've done a deep dive. There's $16 trillion of student loan refinancing that are up for grabs. SoFi could address about 25% of that. And that's a huge number, right? So you're talking about you know hundreds of, of, of billions of potential. What's your, tar- like, what's your target so far? Uh, twenty dollars. End of not end of year. Just the ultimate target. Ultimate target. Okay. Yeah. 20, so you think I, it could be worth 20? Here, here's been my yeah. question about SoFi, which is it's, it's essentially a bank, right? I know they have technology Correct. sales as well. We value, and yet we value it on adjusted EBITDA Correct. as if we pretend it's something different than Correct. a banking business. It's a bank with a website, Michael. <laughs> or an app, you know. Okay. All right. Let's do the bottom three. What, yeah. are, the, what are the worst? Uh, not, not the companies are bad, but what are the least promising opportunities among the stocks that you cover yeah. uh, for buyers right now? I'll tell you what I hate. Okay. How about that? I'm going to be very blunt. Number one from the bottom. We agree on this one. Coinbase. Zero. Okay. Um, wait, wait. Say that again? <laughs> you don't think it's... $27, but... You it's, think it's, you think it's worth think, 27 Yeah, I think okay. it's worth 27 Okay. Um, and it's in like the 70s now or something? Yeah, like yeah. 60s or something. It's, right. it's, okay. It's, so Mizuho will not be doing least. any investment banking. <laughs> okay. What, what, what Sorry. else you got? <laughs> um, uh, let me do another one. I, I am actually very cautious on... Um, I'm cautious on Upstart, even okay. though I do mm-hmm. think that they have really good technology. Okay. Upstart is basically generating leads for banks that yeah. aren't as for good lenders, on the internet yeah. as Correct. the software is. But okay. they do have like a big edge on, on, on AI. It's just the wrong time, yeah. right? So they're like in the wrong time in the wrong place. But is it really AI or is it SEO? It's actually AI. So okay. they do have smart really credit AI. scoring and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and, I am, and the controversial call, I'm going to be very controversial now. I yeah, knew, that is I knew it was going to be one of these. Okay. They're going to lose the multiple. Put it up. Visa. Okay, they're going to lose the multiple, or is it basically they have no real moat? What is it? They had a moat. Yeah. They're trading on past glories, and that's the thing. 45% of their top-line growth comes from cash to card. We're reaching 90% in the U.S. At some point, it's mm-hmm. over. Uh, the SEC, uh, not the SEC, sorry, the, um, the DOJ is going after them, mm-hmm. right? Um, you've got, you know, buy now, pay later, taking a bite at credit. So basically, uh, and then FedNow, at the end of the day, we talked about FedNow, right? FedNow is a huge risk to debit. Debit's like a $2.7 trillion FedNow is business. doing business directly, doing business directly with the Fed and not requiring an intermediary. It's basically, it's free debit right. instead of expensive debit. Okay, they why isn't MasterCard debit. in the same boat as Visa? MasterCard is exposed to the same secular issues. It's less exposed to the U.S., Okay. It's got more Europe, so they don't have as much of... They're not in the epicenter, in the eye of the storm as Visa is. So if you have to be a relative trader, I like MasterCard over Visa. Okay. Where would you Where put MasterCard ma- if you were ranking these? If you, if you were ranking it? 
I put it still towards the bottom. What do you mean if? I would say when. When. I'm just kidding. I have a buy on it, and I think it will outperform, but I would put it towards the sort of the more like, say, the middle of the pack here. Can we get to a stock that I own, Toast? Yeah. Okay. Where would we put this? Right here. Okay. I love you already. So why? Why am I going to make a lot of money on this stock? You rarely get a category killer, mm. and the work that I mean, we we all know it's a category killer, yes. right? The the pushback is why right, they've got the, the the 99 cents. Like people don't care. There's a, a lot of small retailers that don't, small restaurants that don't have it. The work that I've done, and this is the differentiated thing in my view, the next leg to the story is software. The ARPU potential there is like in the tens of thousands of dollars. Software as opposed to the device that the waiter or waitress comes over to yeah. the table with. Adjacent to the device. So behind yes. the device. So I've done actually, I've done like a, a survey that showed that restaurants that take their payroll take on average two and a half more products than restaurants that don't. 50% of the TAM doesn't have payroll yet. So as they upsell more payroll, they actually get more incremental software. So there's positive externalities. 93,000 restaurants right now use Toast. Yes. It's a very fragmented industry. They added 7,500 last quarter. They could continue at that pace for a long time. Every time they get a restaurant on payment is another opportunity to sell them horizontally 10 other things that they do. That's that's my bull case. but, yeah, but, aren't there, <laughs> but aren't there several players who essentially see this exact market? Michael, your skepticism after. is not warranted here. <laughs> not here. Yeah. But what is the? Co- I mean, is it Square? Like, what is the real competitor no, here? They, they've. I like Square, but Square, for different reasons. Data, no. uh, Clover is very yeah. good, but from a vertical, if you think about vertical being the X on the vertical yeah. in restaurants, they're unmatched in the U.S. Like they, they, uh, they're crushing everyone else on R and D. And that's the secret sauce. Okay. PayPal, well, I wanna, I'm interested yeah. in where you would place that. Right here. It is a controversial one. Controversial, yeah. but huge upside. I'm actually very optimistic about PayPal. Bear case, they're losing share to Apple Pay. Margins Which everybody knows. Yeah. Everybody knows. It's okay. in the stock, whatever. It's, it's a rock bottom right now. New CEO. I've heard great things about Alex uh, Chris. He from, was at, from uh, into, in, it. into it. Into it. I've had yeah. great things. So the pushback was like he wasn't the first choice, the second yeah. choice. Everybody was hoping for other people, Sarah Fryer, whatever names. I wasn't the first choice it. for this show either, so <laughs> it's fine. Uh, real quick on PayPal. What if it's BlackBerry? Because that's the, the bear case. Yeah. Um, how many times a week do you use Venmo? Uh, how much do they make every time I use it? Zero. They can't monetize. Yeah. But. The, 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 I, I agree, I, but yeah. that's that's the, the tug of war. There, yeah. But you know, your kids, right? You're, everybody, there's something there. There's right. a huge asset there. It's not BlackBerry, and and no one can disrupt it. I actually see great things for PayPal down the road, so I'd rank it at number. Five. Everything becomes an advertisement. Dan, you were you, you were an amazing sport. Thank this you. This is great. Thank you. This is great. A lot of food for thought here, and uh, we really appreciate it. All right, Dan. Thanks a lot. We have to go. Uh, Dan's going to fill in the rest of this board during the break. Up next, next week. Salesforce, the jobs report, will tell you what we're watching. One thing I know we'll be watching next week, Jim Cramer. Jim's putting his teacher hat on for a special back-to-school series of Mad Money, airing at 6 p.m. Eastern each night. All right, FinTech fans, we gave Dan the two-minute commercial break to put together the rest of his board. There were a few more tickers there. There you have it. 
his coverage universe ranked. Thanks so much to Dan Dolev for coming out and doing that with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, not too many uh, on the sell side would, uh, would come in for that. All right, welcome back to Taking Stock. Of course, Josh, looking ahead to next week, mm. we have earnings out from Salesforce on Wednesday, along with a raft of economic data. That includes the latest PCE inflation read, the August jobs report. We got jolts as well. You know, yes. you love jolts. Um, so we're going to have some macro stuff. I mean, CRM is interesting in the can the old dog, you know, learn new tricks, even though Salesforce isn't that old. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a wannabe AI play with some traction there. It's actually a triple digit stock in the Dow. So it really does matter. It, mo- it moves the chain. Salesforce up 57 percent year to date, uh, only 4 percent below its 50 day moving average, about 13 percent above the 200, like a lot of gigantic tech stocks stalled out a little bit this summer. Uh, but Salesforce reminds me of Meta a little bit later to the game in all the cost cutting. Right. They had an activist. They That's actually true. listened to the activist. I don't think they ended up having to give up any board seats, but Benioff made some calls. They fired some people. Yeah. That's what Wall Street wanted to see in 2023. And that's what they delivered. And I think it's working by and large. This is one of the better performing names, yeah. uh, you know, mega cap names. And it has pulled off the highs, you know, very similar to Microsoft, you know, like 10 percent off the year to date highs. So it's kind of settled back a little bit. We'll see if that's enough to refresh some of the buying interest there. Now, macro wise, uh, you know, expected to see the job growth numbers moderate from the, you know, 200,000 plus pace. I yeah. guess the question is. Um, how much of that is a swing factor anymore in the outlook for rates or anything else? I don't know. But just in case I'm going to panic anyway, you yes. got PCE next Makes week. Sense. We're going to look. We're going to talk about it. Although there was, there was, there was some talk that Powell kind of, kind of scooped the market on the PCE number. He more or less characterized what July PCE looked like today. Yeah. But still, you should panic. I think that's true. Yeah. So I want to just say thank you for the amazing summer and, and <laughs> allowing me to co-host with you. And I actually it's brought, been you, amazing. I brought oh, you a gift. On. I brought you a gift. I mean, we're going to clo- close on a high note. Tear it open. This making me look bad now not later. on this. Uh, I got you Excellent. your very own Santoli. Break. Can, we, can we get the Great. name on the screen? Do you see it? Yeah. Where is it? This okay. is amazing, Josh. We got, Thank you. We got a, a Santoli branded Yankee. I owe you, and it's been great. I really appreciate the time. Where and is the my commitment. gift? I appreciate it. It's not a jersey, not getting retired, but <laughs> it's the next best thing. It's great. At what number would I get anyway? I uh, really appreciate it, Josh. Have a great rest of the summer. That does it for us. Last call with Brian Sullivan starts right now. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive. AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 